Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays at voxoc.com slash live and at the El Dorado Performing Arts Center. Good morning. Morning, morning, morning. morning. How are we doing this morning? Yeah. Yeah. In the back? How That's we right. Where's my woos at? My woos. There they Woo! Are. <laughs> awesome. Andy, why are we out here? Oh, yeah. Why are we out here? Hey, no chairs. So no, no big news, right? <laughs> so we thought, hey, if we have good news, we should bring out uh, a different color chair so that you guys know the difference between the two. <laughs> we're still deciding whether Perfect. that's Perfect. Uh, no, no, no. We're I mean we're out here. Uh, we're out here because we're gonna in a minute after we share some stuff with you guys. Um, we're actually gonna talk a little bit about uh, Tim Milhoff because um, today will be his last day on our teaching team um, and participating with us. So we imagine in the in the near future, far off future, he'll he'll absolutely be back here and guest uh, teaching with us. But um, so we'll do that in a minute. Uh, but aside from that. If you're new here, um, welcome. Uh, my name is Andy. I'm uh, the creative director here, and this is David. David. And I'm one of the guys on staff. Yeah, you're one of the one of the guys on staff. <laughs> um, anyhow, yeah. If you're uh, if, again, if you're new and you want to learn and read more about us, voxoc.com is the way to do it. Uh, our website with all of that. Uh, a couple of fun things uh, coming up here in the next uh, week, actually. Um, yes, I have, th- I have three announcements. Um, next week is our uh, county fair picnic. So this is a church-wide picnic. Um, once a year, we take over the front lawn over here and um, just have fun. So we'll feed you. We've got hot dogs and hamburgers. Uh, if you have a food sensitivity, you might have to take care of that yourself. Um, sorry about that. Uh, but we will have uh, jumpers for kids. Um, yes. And then we have actually three fun opportunities uh, of things for you to do. One is we're going to have a chili cook-off contest. So we're looking for 10 people to sign up. Um, um, to compete to the death um, to make chili. No, there's no death involved. Just delicious chili. Um, I did do my test run um, this weekend. Daniel had some. Says my says mine's pretty good. So I hear Trader Joe's has good can yeah. that you can <laughs> yep. put yep. in a crock pot. Pretty loose rule. So if you end up winning on something like that, you know you will be outed. <laughs> but, um, in addition, uh, we do have also a pie eating contest uh, that we'd love for people to get in uh, with and get their faces all messy and have fun with that. And then also we're doing a blue ribbon pie contest. So if you are a baker and you think you've got the best pie in yeah. the county, then we want to know. So um, sign up to bring that. Um, it's free, of course, and it'll be right after service um, next week, and it'll go for uh, a few hours, um, and that'll be a ton of fun there. Yeah. If you got your photo taken um, last week for Mother's Day, um, and uh, it, and you're not on our Facebook, I did send the link out on Facebook this week, but um, if you could actually go to the website and give us your email address through the newsletter subscription, I'm going to actually send out the link to everyone subscribed on the um, email tomorrow. So um, all those photos are ready to go too. Um, lastly, for me, um, selfishly, it is my son's first birthday today. So woo, woo. I kept him alive for a year. Guys, guys. I must be doing something right. So typically in Mexican culture, you throw a huge party that the child doesn't remember, but it's for the whole family. Does uh, 
Do you do that? Uh, not culturally. We did have a little birthday yesterday at the park, and that was fun. It was a ball party. We blew up like 24 beach balls and just had them all play with them in a field, you know, because they're one. Financially, that's smart. Yes, exactly. Um, right. And I may or may not prank my community pool by leaving them all in there. Today. So, <laughs> still deciding. I don't know what to do with them. So, cool. Um, two things. Yeah, two things. Two things. Um, if you're looking... Uh, to participate here at Vox, we do have opportunities for you to do that. Uh, right now, we do need people to help set up everything we do, except there's a lot of setup that happens in here, but kids need uh, set up um, all the signs that you see outside. It's uh, it's fun um, because you get to sweat. Like, I'm sweating right now. But uh, it's just a good time to get together with other guys and gals and just set up so you can see what it takes to kind of pull this off. Uh, we're looking for people to help once a month. Um, also, kids, we can use help uh, help within kids once a month and it's a great place to build community and to get to know other people here at Vox and uh, it's been fun to really just kind of um, just just help and get to know people and know their names and what their hobbies are and connect afterwards so if you are available come see me I'll be out in the lobby after after Vox yeah yeah either see David or email info at Vox OC or on the website if you go to the participate menu button you can fill out a form there and we also have a crew of of people who are here uh, for you, there are community pastors, and they wear these uh, orange lanyards. Bruce is sitting right there. Bruce, why don't you wave to us? He's he's what we call our pastor on call today. So if you would love to talk to somebody, his wife Carol is also on call this morning. She's sitting right over here. So if you if you ever need somebody to pray with, to talk with, they're usually going to stand over by these doors during communion, um, and then they're for you. If if you happen to see somebody like Casey who's sitting over here with an orange lanyard, and you have a question for him. Um, he's willing as well. Anybody who wears these orange lanyards have been asked to be part of this community pastor team who, who care for the people here at Vox, and they're amazing people ready to help you as you um, kind of walk through this journey spiritually. So that's that's it. That's it. All right, what else? Right on. Okay, so uh, what we're going to do, we're going to go ahead and uh, bring out Tim. Tim, come on out, Tim. going to be teaching here for a second. Woo! Tim. Tim. There he is. Watch your step. I want you to stand right in between us. There's a cross right here uh -oh. that you need to bear. <laughs> we'll stand right here. <laughs> right, Ooh, right. That would have been a good idea. So um, before, before, uh, before we kind of kick you off into teaching, um, we did take the time to uh, get you a little bit of something. Um, we would actually like you to take a look at oh, what, what we got in here. And we okay. can help you um, if you don't know. Well, well let me help yeah. you. Let me help you. Yeah. Um, okay, here we go. So this these, is a good start. Let's start with um, this. We wanted you to have. Yep. So um, we. So. Uh, all right. Okay. Hold on. So, we, uh, all right. We have actually we, launched. We've actually launched. Uh, a brand of jeans just for Tim. Um, if you can put up the slide of the branding, uh, we've actually come up here. There we go. Uh, Bob, if you could throw up that picture. I want you to see that. There, there you go. There we go. Yes! <laughs> yeah, dang! That's there a good so picture. There's people who do not know <laughs> yeah, there's, what's going on right yeah. now. Those wings, That's really man. funny. Those, yep. those yep. wings. <laughs> okay, okay. So let's see. What else do we have, we have in here? All right. Let me, okay, I think we have... What else we got, Andy? Let's see. We've got... Um, here we go. Pack of Rogaine. So this is going to be, this is going to help out. Thank you, Rogaine. Hey, so I know, um, I know you like to read books. So we have these amazing books. We have books. our top three recommendations. Our top three. Uh, one is uh, Winsome Persuasion by <laughs> yeah. Tim Muehlhoff. Uh, the God Conversation by Tim Muehlhoff. <laughs> 
and uh, I Beg to Differ by Tim Muehlhoff. You might, summer reading, you know. Did you actually buy those? I think so. That's awesome. Yeah. If you bought those. Yeah. Yeah. That's our way of financially that's, compensating that's you. That's our way of financially <laughs> saying thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. And then yeah, honey, we can supersize yeah. it for lunch. A couple other yeah. things. Yeah. Perfect. Um, so, we've got you. To, this will handle your migraines. So that will just take I care of it. it. It takes Excedrin care of your migraines. Excedrin. Right. And then finally, to kind of step up your, um, your game with youthfulness here, we actually got a, a gift card for you to get a Vox tattoo. So. <laughs> <laughs> I really want you to put these jeans on. (laughs) (laughs) No, but in all all seriousness, we just want to thank you so much for uh, the past uh, year of coming in and just giving us Jesus and making him beautiful. And I think on behalf of Vox, we want to say thank you. Wow. Big, big thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And as far as just some last comments, for those of you that don't know who may have, haven't been here for the past year, uh, nine months ago, uh, Mike, who was here, who was teaching and, and leading this thing, um, took off uh, to Ohio uh, for a number of, of the right reasons. And Tim came in to really help and give us wisdom, help be here to help, you know, you guys realize like this, this matters. You know, this is someone who has an incredible accolade and scholarship and understanding of the Bible, of Jesus, of living a life of faith. And to have him here, uh, to participate with us to help you all see like no this is what we're doing here matters and it's not just um, you know some offbeat reactionary attempt at doing church in the light of everything else but rather the stuff that we believe in is actually you know legit and we're really trying to do some good work here and so um, Tim you know flew in to really kind of you know backbone that a bit so literally um, we're, flew in. yeah literally flew in <laughs> um, you know we're, we're forever grateful and uh, yeah. we can't say enough things about yeah, um, about what you've meant yeah. to having you here well, so my pleasure. Thank you so much. So um, would we give him a hand and say thank you for yep. coming? No. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Look at that. Damn, oh, look at that. Oh, look at that. Here we go. Thanks. Thank you. So, <clears throat> all right. As you stand, don't sit down. As you stand, you don't have to. You can sit. We're going to pray for you. (laughs) We don't want to coerce you into anything. But uh, we're going to pray for you. Thank you. And we're going to ask that God would just continue to shine his face upon you. Thank you. Lord God, thank you for this opportunity to share um, this time with this amazing man that you've called to do your work. Father, I thank you for the lives that he's touching. I thank you for the lives that he's reaching. Thank you for the lives that he is um, challenging mentally and and spiritually, Father. Um, We uh, can't say thank you enough. Our hearts are full of gratitude. Um, We thank you that he has made this place a safe place, a place to process, a place to ask questions, a safe to, a place to serve and love and not stand in judgment of, Father. Lord, I thank you for what you're gonna do in his life. I thank you that you've given him a summer where he has nothing to do. I pray that he doesn't find things to do, but that he would rest and that he would um, just be able to be still. Um, I know that's hard for him, or it may not be, but God, I thank you that you have used him and that you have spoken through him, and we are forever changed and forever grateful for that. Mm -hmm. And God, I do pray that you would um, heal his migraines, Father. Lord, that you would bring him to health and that, Lord, he would be able to someday return to the stage and continue to teach as you have called him to. Um, Lord, I pray that you'd go before him, that you would give him words, that you'd continue to give him wisdom, that you'd continue to give um, him wisdom to write books, 
um, and make a dent in this uh, society for you. We ask all this in your name. Amen. 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 Hey, man, thank you. Andy, thank you. You got it. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the ripped jeans thing. I'm on an island by myself with the ripped jeans thing. No one virtually agrees with me. <laughs> hey, uh, first, happy birthday, my son Jeremy. Just turned 20. He's here. <clears throat> We uh, don't have any teenagers in the house anymore. That's a wild, wild thing. Um, hey, it has been great to be at Vox. Uh, you've left a big imprint on me. I love what you're doing. I believe in what you're doing. I just need to clear some mental space. And uh, this is just kind of part of the journey. But um, know that we'll be praying for you. would love to come back uh, and do some preaching eventually and stuff like that. But um, So here's what I want to do. I want to give a, a semi-boring introduction. It, it could really be boring. And maybe some of you will be like, oh, why is he doing this? But I think the payoff will be really big, and it sets up something that I really want to talk about. So when philosophers and theologians talk about a thing, they use the word ontology. So the word ontology means the essence of a thing. So what do we mean by that? Well, let's say this. A candle... What's the essence of a candle? A candle gives off light. That is the essence of a candle. Now, there are a million different kind of candles, right? There's scented candles. There's um, big candles, small candles, right? Those are important things, but the ontology, the essence of a candle, is that it gives off light. If this didn't have a wick, and by the way, this is an electric candle, right? So, but it gives off light. But if it didn't have a wick, it would just be a, a block of wax. It would not be a, a candle. Um, a microphone, a ton of different kinds of microphones. I'm wearing a lapel microphone. There's a boom microphone. This is a microphone on a stand. This is a wireless microphone. But the ontology of a microphone is that it gives off sound. It amplifies. That's what it does. So now here's what theologians have said. Okay, we know a lot of things about God. I could ask you to shout out a word about God, and we'd get things like righteousness. We'd get wrath. We'd get um, peace. We would get all these different words, but theologians would say, but is there an ontology of God? Is there something, the essence of God? And only two places in scripture do we get this is the essence of God. Here's the first one. First one comes from um, John, when John says this. Next slide. Go back one. Thank you. So in 1 John, John says this. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Notice John isn't saying God's a lover. He's saying that God is love, which is fascinating to think about. So when you think that God is love, a lot of things start to fall into place. Why did God create human beings? He wanted to love. Why did he create the world? He wanted to express his love. Why is God a trinity? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Some theologians believe because God is love. Take a look at this quote. Um, here, here it says, Richard of St. Victor argued that if God were just one person, he could not be intrinsically loving, since for all eternity, he would have had nobody to love. If there were two persons, he went on, God might be loving, but in an excluding, ungenerous way. But when the love is happy, healthy, and secure, they rejoice to share it. Just so with God, said Richard, being perfectly loving from all eternity, the Father and the Son have delighted to share their love and joy with and through the Holy Spirit. 
That's why there's a trinity, because God is love, and we know what the nature of love is. So the very first thing we're going to say about God, that he is his essence, not that righteousness isn't important, judgment isn't important, all those kind of things, but the essence of God is love. Now, in the second place, we get the second one. Go ahead. John also says God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So you know from the book of Acts that we continually live in the presence of God. Uh, um, The writer says, in him we live and move and have our existence. Uh, The doctrine of omnipresence means God is everywhere. There's not one place in the solar system that God isn't. There's not one place on planet Earth that God isn't. God is spirit. So A.W. Tozer once said, what air is to a bird and water is to a fish is what God is to us. So God is actually in this auditorium. Now, he's not in the chair. He's not in the stage. We call that pantheism. But God completely saturates you. Uh, The best way to think about God's presence is if you jumped in the deep end of a swimming pool and you were completely saturated in water, imagine the water is God and he completely envelops you. Now, put the two, two together and we get an amazing fact about God. God is love and God is spirit, which means God's love saturates this auditorium. You are literally sitting in God's love. And the world is saturated with God's love. The universe, there's not one place in that you can conceive of that God's love hasn't gone before him and that God completely saturates with his love. Now, Jesus is being challenged by the Pharisees. They're really bugged because he's hanging out with sinners. So in Luke chapter 15, arguably my favorite chapter in the New Testament, Jesus says, I want to tell you, Pharisees, what God's love actually looks like. So he actually puts feet on this idea that God is love and he's spirit. So let's go to Luke 15. Now, the tax collectors, you couldn't be worse than a tax collector. Uh, At this time, um, uh, the Jews were under Roman domination. Uh, The Jews hated the Romans. They expected the Messiah to come as a military leader and actually have a war against Rome and defeat Rome so that Jews could be free. A tax gatherer was a person working with Rome. So Rome wanted to collect taxes. That's how they funded their military. So they used tax gatherers to do it tax gatherer was a Jew who was working with the Romans, but it got even worse than that. It was, um, so if if a Roman governor said to you, I want you to collect 30% taxes on this particular area, he only said it to the tax collector. I didn't know what that conversation was. So he comes back to your providence and says, yeah, really bummer, but uh, Rome wants 45%. He added 15 because he's going to take that 15 and keep it. So you can imagine how people view tax gatherers as traitors if you're a Jew. So tax gatherers and sinners were all gathering around Jesus and he's embracing them. The Pharisees were beside themselves and so were Jews that he's hanging out with traitors. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now they get one thing right and they get one thing wrong. They get the right part that Jesus does eat with sinners and tax gatherers. By the way, in the New Testament, 
This eating, don't think that you're just sharing a table, having a meal. That is not what Jesus' table fellowship represented. If you read about Jesus' table fellowship, it is far more scandalous than you thought it was. This is Jesus sitting at a table with people that would make you uncomfortable. So imagine walking down Brea, and here's Jesus sitting there eating with people and fellowshipping with people, and you just walk by and you go, Jesus, you can't be with that person. The optics are horrible. You cannot be with that person. I make my students name who would be at that table that they would feel uncomfortable with. So we get pedophiles, we get neo-Nazis, we get the Taliban writers sitting at that table and Jesus is having fellowship with them. The Pharisees hated that because he was being known as a religious leader. So they get that right. He is having fellowship with them. They get the first thing wrong. He welcomes sinners. Jesus is a about to challenge that. He's going to say, no, 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 no. I don't welcome sinners. I go and get sinners. It's not that Jesus says, I'm going to be sitting at this table at noon and anybody can come. No, no, no. He says, I'm going to go after sinners in a really positive way. Later, I'm going to argue that's the purpose of the church. I think one of the mistakes the American church has made is that we say our church services are open to everybody. Right? And Box does a great job of this, right? But Jesus is saying, but that's not what I did. I went and got them in the community. I think a church, we need to be out in the community gathering people, not just saying our doors are open, but we actually go to the hurting everywhere within our community. I'll talk more about that later. Okay, so now Jesus knows they're muttering. By the way, that word muttering, oh, you've heard this, under your breath. Oh, I can't believe it. Oh. Jesus, I can't, oh, I can't, oh. By the way, Paul goes off on this in the New Testament. He says, listen, church, I don't want you to be like the Pharisees. I don't want you muttering about fellow Christians. Boy, we've lost that today. We're in the argument culture today, right? Deborah Tan and Georgetown Linguist has identified this as the argument culture, and it has deeply affected the church. So men and women, let me just say this. Paul would say, don't be like the, don't mutter about other communities, Right, Box is very unique in how we do things. There's other churches who don't do it the way we do. And guess what? God bless them. Right? They are furthering God's kingdom, doing as they think their elders would prescribe, as their pastors leading them. And we can't sit back and go, oh, I can't, that church, I can't, right? oh, how they do, right? Oh, 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 I hate when churches tend to think we're the only ones who do it right. And that is prevalent today. So let's just have a generous attitude. Yeah, I couldn't go to that church. I couldn't do it the way that they do it. But God's, I mean, Jesus even said, Paul even said that, right? Hey, if some people are preaching the gospel for ill means, fine, the gospel's still getting out there. So let's not be like the Pharisees and mutter about people, right? Let's just say, God bless you, and you go do it the way you're doing it, and please give us the peace to do it the way we want to do it. We just don't do that as the church today. And we have some really serious threats that are going to hit us here in California. We better have a unified front to hit some of these very serious threats that are coming out of Sacramento. Next. Now Jesus goes into his three favorite uh, stories, parables. By the way, you can study these at non-Christian universities. They're so brilliant and have really uh, lasted the test of time. So Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? 
Boy, underline that. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. So Jesus is saying that sheep has been lost, and I'm going to go find the sheep. I lead the flock. By the way, don't forget who his audience is. He's primarily responding to the Pharisees. So he's saying to the Pharisees, a sheep was lost, but why is the sheep lost? He says to the Pharisees, because you lost them. You have produced rules that are so oppressive that people are leaving religiously. I'm going to get them. So again, we, we, we can't make church so oppressive that people just leave, right? But Jesus says, when the one leaves the flock, guess what? I'm going after the one. And I will not stop until I find the one, right? Go on. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons, read Pharisees, who do not need to repent. Now, here's an interesting fact about this in heaven. You know that Jews were very slow to call God by any kind of a name. They thought that that was um, not respectful towards God. So they would very seldom ever use names of God, right? So most commentators would say when Jesus says rejoicing in heaven, he's actually talking about God. He's being respectful towards God. See, don't imagine when this one sheep is found and brought back to the flock that angels are up there high-fiving each other and heaven is having a great time and music is playing and all that kind of stuff. No, no, no. God is rejoicing. God is the one up in heaven um, thrilled beyond belief that a person has come back to the fold, okay? Then, for the sake of time, we don't have time for this, a woman loses a coin in her house, and she turns up the entire house, and she will not stop until she finds the coin. So for the sake of time, there's the lost sheep, and the shepherd leaves the 99, right, and goes to find the one. A coin is lost, and the woman turns up the entire house looking for the coin. Okay, next. Oh, I'm sorry, and just remember, Jesus' primary audience is the Pharisees. He's saying, why is the coin lost? You were so oppressive in your religion, you forced people away. Why is the sheep lost? Because you were so oppressive that you forced people away. The church has got to care for people. We've got to say to people, we love you. Even if we have differences with you, we still love you, and we not only welcome you, we will always go out and find you when you're hurting. Next. Now he launches into his most favorite parable, the prodigal son. There was once a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. There was nothing wrong with doing that. He didn't break a law when the son asked for that. Deuteronomy says he had the right to do it. It just hurt the relationship, right? Um, uh, my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. The father's being very gracious to allow the son to do this. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and he set out for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Now he's about to tell us what that looks like, but don't miss Jesus's point in the parable. The point is this. Jesus is going to paint the worst case scenario he can think of a Jewish young man going and living with pigs. There's nothing worse you could think of with a Jew, right? But, but don't miss Jesus' point. But what's your worst case scenario? 
That's the purpose of the prodigal son. What's your worst case scenario with you and God? And we should live in that. For a year, I've been studying this, imagining what's the worst case scenario. In other words, what's the line that you can cross with God and God's done with you? I think it's good to think about that. If you're struggling with pornography, right? And you just think, man, I promised a million times I'd stop doing this. I've heard everybody who loves me, uh, and I made every promise, and I just went back to it yesterday. And I even went to a worse form of pornography, right? If you're sitting there thinking, well, that's it. That was, that was a line too far with God. The purpose of the prodigal son parable is to say, no, there's no worst case scenario with God. Paul uses the word lavished grace in his writings. Lavished means in the Greek to exceed a number. So again, if you, if, you, if you attached a number to how many times you can sin, if you've attached a number to the grievous situation of the sin, then uh, Paul, Jesus is saying, I'm, I want to blow that away. There is no worst case scenario for me, right? Then he goes into it, what he thinks his is culturally. After he had spent everything, so he squanders this inheritance, that the father has been cultivating for a long time. Uh, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out as a Jew to a citizen of that country who sent him to feed with the pigs. Nothing worse in Jewish culture. A pig was a grotesque, unclean animal. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So not only is he living with the pigs, which is about to a Jew the worst thing you can do, he would literally ingest what a pig eats, which is disgusting to most people. So you just need to sit in that. Is there ever a scenario by which you can't come back to God? Is there ever a scenario in which God would never run towards you or reach out for you? Jesus is about to smash that to smithereens and say, there is no worst case scenario with God. Next. Now, when he came to his senses, this has been hotly debated by theologians. The ancient church believed, there's the ancient church and the modern church. The ancient church believed that when he came to his senses, there's no repentance. He, he says to himself, listen, I'm living with pigs. I'm starving to death. My dad has servants who are eating better than I am. I'm going to go back to my dad, and I just want to be a servant because, to be honest, I want to eat. I, I'm sick to my stomach. I, I'm unhealthy. All I want is some really good meals. I'm not necessarily wanting to reconcile with my father. The ancient church believed that that was the scenario. The modern church has tended to move away from that direction, has tended to believe that this is true repentance. There's not really great reasons to question his authenticity. Now, you can read it both ways. I think for the sake of this morning, I'd like to play around with, this is a person just trying to con the father, right? I, I don't necessarily want your love or forgiveness. I want your meals. I, I want a good place to stay. Let's assume that's the one and still see what the father's reaction is to that. Right? So he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? My goodness, they're eating more than they can, they have more than they can eat. And here I am starving to death. This was a dire situation for this man. He was in the midst of famine and he might die, so I'm going back to my father. Um, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, here's a prepared speech, Father, I have sinned against heaven. And against you, I've sinned against God and against you as my earthly father. 
uh, I've se- uh, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. I, I'm just going to say, Dad, give me, a, give me some meals. Give me a place to put my head, and I, you don't need to call me your son. I get that. Just treat me as a hired servant. Okay? Now, here we go. Um, so... When the son comes back, having squandered everything, the the Jewish community isn't going to put up with this. I mean, communal life was much more uh, deeper than it is today. So the community would have looked at the son coming back and saying, there's no way we're bringing you back to this community. There was actually a ceremony called the Kezaha, literally the cutting off. After it was performed, the community would have nothing to do with this wayward person. So when the son would come back, they would take a pot, they would break the pot and say, you are not welcomed in this community. I don't care what your father says. You're not com- you don't treat elders like that. You do not walk- set one foot into this community. By selling his inheritance and taking it with him, the prodigal takes a huge risk. If he loses that money among the Gentiles, again, that's horrible, uh, he burns his bridges and has no way to return home. He has no more rights to claim, and no one will take him back in. Jesus knows about the ceremony. He's well-versed. He knows that the community is going to say no. He's about to save the community, but I'm going to say yes. Boy, that's a great message for the church. The church says to the community, you always can come back. The Pharisees said, you can come back upon certain qualifications, you can come back. We say, no, you're always welcome here. And a matter of fact, we're going to go out and personally invite you. We're going to go out and help you, even if you're in a situation that you can't help yourself. Now, listen, it's not that we turn a blind eye to sin, right? If people are doing things in this community that aren't biblical, aren't right, and you're hurting other people, we would step in. Leadership would step in and address it, right? But we say to people, not only are you welcomed here, but we are going to go out and get you. And I don't care what you've done. I will bring you in. This is the thief on the cross, who, who again, painting a horrible situation. This is a person who's um, most likely done sedition against Rome. That's the only way you're going to get crucified. Roman citizens would not be crucified. And um, Jesus turns to this person and says, today you'll be with me in my kingdom. Right? So the church is incredibly gracious towards individuals. Next. I love this. My favorite verse. But, but while he was still a long way off, two interpretations of that. One, if we go with the ancient church, they are commenting on his internal condition. While he was a long way off, not just physically, but spiritually. That's the ancient church. The modern church would say he's a long ways off. The father, every morning, gets up and looks and and. and surveys where his son is. He's getting messages about what's happening. There's a famine out there. So he's always searching. He's going out looking for a son. Uh, His father saw him, was filled with compassion. The Greek for that is like you were punched in the stomach. Uh, That's the Greek. Um, I do Shaolin Kung Fu. Maybe you're looking at my forehead. I actually got speared by a black belt got hit in the head with a spear by a black belt. If I did that, I'd get yelled at. He just did it and was like, oh, okay. And I was like, wow, okay. Um, But I've been kicking in the stomach that put me down on one knee. I mean, it's incredibly painful, even with my rock-solid abs. Um, But he hit me 
So, so literally, when the father sees the son, he is bowled over with, con- with compassion. It literally is a physical reaction to the plight of this individual. So let me ask a million-dollar question. How, many, how often do you have physical reactions to the poor? How often do we have physical reactions when we see unrighteousness happening? when we see the poor, when we see the transgender community, 40% suicide rates, attempted or actual, right? Do we feel like my, I'm, my stomach is turning because of my compassion towards these individuals? We've got to go help them. We've got to reach out to them. We've got to be with individuals that are hurting and that God loves. So if you don't have a physical reaction, let me be honest, I don't think I have many of them. I need to ask the Holy Spirit maybe to soften me, to to have the kind of compassion Jesus did weeping in front of Jerusalem. Remember Paul in Romans chapter 9? He said, I'd give up my salvation for my Jewish brothers who don't know Christ, right? So if we don't have this physical reaction when we look at the pain of what just happened in Texas, 10 individuals being, 10 students being shot to death in Houston, if we look at the Syrian refugee crisis and it doesn't cause a physical reaction, then maybe we've become just a little hard-hearted. And maybe we need to pray like Jeremiah would be known as the weeping prophet, the weeping church, right? Filled with compassion, he ran to his son. Now, um, one, elders don't do that. Elders are very dignified. Imagine the queen running at the wedding yesterday, hiking up her skirt and just running up the stairs. We'd be like, we don't see that every day. Well, the Greek, the Greek for ran is what was used to describe Greek races in which people were sprinting. So when he runs to the sun, he is sprinting to the sun. When he sees him, he's like, boom, bowl over with compassion and runs, sprints to the sun. Threw his arms around him and kissed him. In the Greek, kissing is, I mean, don't think of this a kiss in the forehead. This is profuse kissing. He's kissing him above the forehead. He's kissing him, right? It's like when I, when I asked Noreen to marry me, that's, she was kissing me profusely. <laughs> that's kind of my memory of it. Okay, um, <laughs> right? But So think about that. That's God's reaction. I love this verse. Meditate on this verse. Meditate on it. And it will really change the way you view God and, ch- and change how you view other people that might be outside of the bounds of the church. Next. The son said to him, tries to go into his speech, okay? Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called blah, blah, blah. Shut up. I don't want to hear a word of it. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the, bring the best robe. What does that robe mean? That robe means he's my son. He's brought into the family. Those of you community members who are looking at my son thinking you're going to outcast him, no way. I'm putting my robe on him. You outcast him, you outcast me. This, this ceremony is not going to happen. I'm putting my robe on him. Just in case you missed it, I'm putting the ring on him. Um, and sandals on his feet right? By the way, these would be dirty feet, right? He's gone through a famine. His feet would be ugly to look at, and yet it quickly put sandals on him, right? Uh, bring the fatted calf and kill it. As many ways as the father can say, he's with me. He's my son. No one's touching him. I forgive him. He's back. I don't want comments from you. 
Boom, okay? Uh, let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine. Isn't that interesting? Um, was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost, and he's found. So they began to celebrate. I love that about God, right? So if you're sitting there in a sin that you're just embarrassed by, right? You're like, I can't believe I just did this. I'm, a, I'm the biggest hypocrite in the world to be in church today. After what I did last night, I'm the biggest hypocrite in the world. I, just, I need to win back God's love, right? So I'm going to do communion. I might do it twice today. I might go there. I might go over there because I need a double dose of communion today, right? Because I got to barter with God. Remember Mike Erie gave my favorite sermon he's ever given. He said, what's the best day to sin? That's what Mike said. Best day to sin was on a Monday because he had all week to get God's love back before Sunday, right? So if you're thinking, I've got I've to slouch towards God, not make eye contact, then you didn't get the parable of the prodigal son. You didn't get it. He sprinted towards you the minute you made a motion, right? So I want to show you this interesting clip. I love these clips when uh, military come back and surprise their kids. I, I love these clips. And so here is one, a baseball one, and I just want you to watch the son's reaction. Go ahead. months of being deployed, United States Army Sergeant Adam Dowell surprised his five-year-old son during a Tennessee Smokies minor league baseball game. Braden thought he was randomly chosen for a dancing competition and had to wear a blindfold, but when he turned around, he was shocked. The emotional reunion had everyone on their feet and in tears. Okay, here's the litmus test. If you're sitting in church this morning and you've done this sin and you, you just, I need to be in church, be quiet, and I make a big deal because I don't, I don't belong here because of what I just did. If you're not like that child running into the arms of God, you didn't get the parable. You didn't get it from God's perspective. It's like, yeah, but I feel like I'd be making a mockery of my sin if I ran into my daddy and I ran into the arms of God. It'd be a mockery of my... And God is saying, no. No, then you don't get my love. If you think you have to do penance, you don't get the parable. And I've, I've struggled with that. Like, man, I just feel like I'm taking advantage of God's love. And God's saying, if you've never been tempted to take advantage of my love, you don't get my love. Right? If you think you have to wait to run into my arms, read the parable again. Because I sprinted towards you. I didn't even let your BS speech get out. Right? If we go to the ancient church. I, I love that you're here. Right? Imagine this. Imagine you have a wayward son, a daughter. Right? And you have a family get-together. It's been years since this, this child 
right? And you give one more invitation and you, you are sure it's going to be rejected, right? Because every other one's been rejected. Then uh, as dinner has started, there's a knock on the door and you get up, open the door, there's the daughter. There's the son. What would you say to that child? Would you look at that child and say, hey, before you come in, anything you want to say to me? <laughs> would you do that? You would open that door and be like, oh, oh my gosh. Yeah, well, Dad, I'm not sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm so kind of mad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm, I don't want to sit next time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on in. Come on in. Sit. Right? That's what got. Now, later, probably we're going to need to have some conversations. So long as the climate is what it should be. Next. Meanwhile, the older son, we don't have time for this. The older son, the Pharisees. The Pharisees are hacked off. You took a tax gatherer and you killed the fatted calf for a tax gatherer? You put your robe on a tax gatherer? This is ridiculous. We have followed every rule you laid out. We have followed the law exactly. And you killed the fatted calf for a lousy tax gatherer? That's ridiculous. And by the way, the church needs to be known for that. Church needs to be, people need to say about churches, you let that person in that door? Yeah, we did. Welcome that person. If we don't get that kind of criticism, we're probably not doing the kind of love that God wants us to. Okay, next, very quickly. Application, not enough for the church to welcome sinners. Not enough to say, hey, you're welcome here and we have services at this time, this time, and this time. The parable is saying, go out there. I want you out there. If there's a group of homeless individuals, go find them. If there's people who are at risk, go find them. That's the marching orders. Then bring them to church. Next. Uh, the ancient church believed that uh, the, the, uh, the shepherd was Jesus, using that metaphor. The father is obviously God. The woman is the church. They assumed she was married, the bride, and that the bride uh, had died for the church. So we are the church. We're the woman looking for the coin, and we turn up every part of the house looking for them. Uh, modern analogy, we turn up every part of Brea and Fullerton looking for the people who need Jesus. And everyone is welcomed at the table. Next, last, Satan's greatest tactic. I just finished a book. It's going to come out in September. Please buy hundreds for Christmas. Um, if you want to help my migraines. Um, <clears throat> wow, that Plato would have said that's a sophist right there. Okay. Um, I wrote a whole book on spiritual battle. And Satan's greatest thing is shame. His greatest tactic is shame. Listen, some of you probably feel the guilt of the Holy Spirit at times. I think that's appropriate, right? The guilt of the Holy Spirit says, yeah, you should probably work on this. You should probably, right? But when shame is attached to it, you got Satan talking to you. It's one thing to say, I could be a better husband, right? And that's the prompting of the Holy Spirit. It's another thing to say, I'm a worthless person. So Satan's greatest tactic is to say, again, you crossed a bridge too far with God. You can never come back. That's Satan speaking. We need to reject that. All right, so we're going to pray real quick. I asked Izzy, who I just, man, I'll tell you what, this worship team is one of the best. We love this worship team. Izzy is so great. I heard a song called Reckless Love. I was preaching at a church and I heard it. I asked Izzy if she and the team would learn it and she agreed to do it. It is one of my favorite songs about the fact that God fights for you. He leaves the 99 to fight you. So I asked them to do it. And then uh, we'll have communion eventually. Somebody's going to set that up. But right now, Izzy, thank you so much for learning this song. 
Thank you. That was awesome. Love reckless love. A uh, couple things real quick. One, um, we need financial help. Vox runs on generous giving of you, and um, it's just a reality of church life. And so if you get a chance, those participation boxes, you don't need to give. But if that's something the Lord would lead you to do, please uh, join those participation boxes. Uh, last, let me, I, I forgot one last quote of my uh, presentation, and that is, we become what we worship is what one theologian said. So if God is love, then the litmus test will be, are we becoming more loving? So today, go and love family members. Go and love friends, but then keep an eye out for those that our community would say is unlovable. And then let's go reach out to those individuals as well. So let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that your love, we thank you that your love is reckless towards us, that you didn't just move towards us, you sprinted towards us. Father, I pray for the people in this congregation who feel like they've gone too far, that they can't come back. I pray that that image of that little boy running into the arms of the Father would burn in us. Father, uh, thank you. So we love you. Pray that we would go out into this community and gather people, invite people, bring them into our community. We pray in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. Go and enjoy the Lord's day. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.